the Links and Locks podcast. podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. This week, we'll be previewing the Travelers Championship from Cromwell, Connecticut. Alongside Spencer Aguiar, I am Roberto Arguello. Thanks for tuning into our show this week. Unfortunately, our third partner on our podcast, Nick Brettwish, is unable to make it this week, but you can always find him on Twitter at StixPicks. Of course, you can find Spencer on Twitter at Tof Sports, and you can find me at Roberto A213. And Spencer, we're coming off a big week at the U.S. Open. Both you and I had the winner last week, Wyndham Clark, at 100-1 in our Links and Locks U.S. Open preview last week. We'll talk about him maybe at the end for a little bit after our rapid fire, but we're going to focus in on the picks for this week at the Travelers Championship. It's actually the last designated event on the PJ Tour that is not a part of the FedEx Cup playoffs or another major, which is the Open Championship. So one last time to get all the big boys together before the majors and the playoffs. Let's get it started with our best bets. What do you have for us this week? I know you're the matchup man, but do you have a place of market bet, an outright, or even a matchup? I am going to go with a matchup for this show. I- I'm right. going to say Bo Hostler minus 115 over Sam Stevens. Okay. Going with the Texas Longhorn way out there in Connecticut. I'm going to go back to a familiar player for my best bet this week. We bet him quite a bit in that placement market around 48-ish or better. But this week, I'm going to go Christian Pazadenhout plus 180 for top 40. Would have also been intrigued by a placement market selection, but that is not available as of our recording time here on Tuesday evening. So maybe keep an eye out for that on Bet365 because those markets have been very kind to us on the show. But for now, I'm going to go top 40 for Christian Bezadenhout. What do you think about Bo Hostler's chances this week in that matchup? Yeah, these matchups have been more of a grind than I've ever seen them over the past few weeks. There are two issues that keep arising here. So one, books have gotten sharper in understanding what golfers are the potential blow-up candidates. They seem to be pitting them against each other. That naturally limits our edge when both names are suffering increased miscut equity. And then two, books have been so quick to autocorrect any error that we've seen them post. You know, we've seen that come into play where a golfer will drift out into the minus 170 range uh, once that a book realizes that there's been, a, I guess, an incorrect post on what they've put there. Uh, that's something that you're going to ever rarely see me attack just because I think the value's gone in most of those occurrences. You're looking for players to take on. I'd love to find an opponent against Adam Shank, uh, Taylor Moore, Sam Bennett. Uh, those are a few of the overrated options that I had, but I'll go with more of a course-specific answer here. In a spot where I believe Sam Stevens might find TPC River Highlands to not suit his eye and grab Bo Hostler against him at minus 115. Steven shifted from 34th and expected tee to green output on a generic course to 119th when running my data for this track. It also found that same downside took place for him with his proximity, a mark where he dropped from 37th in this field to 114th because of the decrease from shots outside of 175 yards. I think when we add that to his distance getting negated, the shaky short game that ranked outside the top 75 for both on and around the green, I couldn't help but feel as if the venue could be the wrong setup for him to find success. That may come as a bit of su- su- surprise here since Stevens has made his past six cuts on tour, but this feels like one of those spots where the floor may fall. And in my opinion, if it does sink here, it's going to sink very quickly from a statistical sense. So it's not to say that I necessarily trust Bo Hostler. You have some problems with his proximity numbers and that's an every week answer that I think we can give, but I think for me, the big key to that answer is we see Steven's proximity take a turn for the worse when we run a course-specific nature for this course. Hostler's just bad with his approach play pretty much anywhere you put him. So we know that he has the around the green game. He has the putter. He's not going to be any worse for the wear playing this course from the proximity ranges that we have. And he's been very solid recently. Eight consecutive made cuts. Uh, obviously, Stevens has made six, but I, I kind of feel like Steven's in this spot 
this might be where the wheels fall off a little bit. Spencer, you hit on something that I think is really important to consider this week when handicapping for a variety of different markets for the Travelers Championship, and that's that recent course history on the PGA Tour. Not necessarily the course that we're playing this week, TPC River Highlands, but the courses we played recently at Los Angeles Country Club, Oak Hill, even at Jack's Place at the Memorial, very different golf courses than the one we're seeing this week. And I think there are some golfers out there who've had their stock go up in price because of their success at those golf courses and other players who have kind of floundered, who had good form or just didn't have their game suit those courses who will suit this course this week. I think it's a really interesting spot on the PGA Tour schedule. And I think you're taking advantage of that discrepancy in course type here with this matchup fading someone in Sam Stevens, whom you might not think has a someone who might be overrated at this point because of recent history on some of those courses where, like you said, shots in over 175 yards to greens have been accentuated. And this week, that's not the case. Uh, looking yeah, back. It always, no, sorry, Robert. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I, I mean, I agree with everything that you're saying. Like, I think people forget that all these answers come down to a course specific nature here mm -hmm. from one week to the next, you're not going to get exactly the same layout here. And that's a really important thing to keep in mind because it kind of goes back to what I'm saying with Sam Stevens here. It's like the general public believes he's safer. And it's not to say he doesn't make the cut. It's not to say that he doesn't post a top 20 it's gambling. The value is the value of what it is. And I think there's a value in the number that I found it at, but not to say that he can't overachieve like if all of a sudden he makes putts and he does things he can propel himself up the leaderboard but it's important to note that like once the sports books know that a golfer is producing and we can see that with the six consecutive made cuts here i just think that at some point these prices get shifted further than they should be and to me that's where i'm seeing the advantage come into play because I don't think Stevens is necessarily, it's not to say that you couldn't throw him on a course next week and it's a much better tournament for him. Like maybe the form is good, but uh, this tournament in general, which is another answer to add to it, like whether a player has specific results that we can point to or that they don't, you can still look at this course. It's one of the highest in rollover predictability. I think the stats every single year look super pronounced when we look at it. So I can kind of feel like I can look at some of these players and know this is a player that either should play well here or should not play well here. And uh, there's very few options. Like if we're getting technical with it, like Max Homa, Tony Finau, maybe those are like the two names that pop into my head that don't have the course history that you would want from a statistical perspective. They look good, but most of the names, like if they haven't put up results, they didn't really grade that well in my model to begin with. So that kind of just shows the pronounced nature of the stats here. I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's why I'm going to be on a few of these players in placement markets, more so plotting type of players. And one of them is Christian Vazadenout. Like I said, bet him for top 40 at plus 180. And it's the putting and approach play combination. Uh, not going to beat a dead horse here, but he's gained approach, gained on approach in eight in all nine of his last tracked tournaments. He's an elite putter, which we've known for a while. Uh, another bent grass course coming up here at least the greens are in tpc river highlands and he's got top 38 finishes in six of his last seven stroke play events on the pga tour so not only does he have that strong combination of approach play and putting form but he's also scoring all around and that approach play is something that he's not necessarily known for but that has been surging for him recently and also when we look at these pete die tracks that are somewhat similar courses where you're not necessarily going to win or give yourself a huge advantage off the tee with driving distance. The two most recent ones he's played in stroke play events, at least were the players and the RBC heritage. He finished in the top 20 in each of those. And I like that type of form to continue only need him for top 40 here, but at plus plus one eighty, I think there's a lot of value for Cbez uh, as his shortcomings off the tee will not be a factor or will not be a disqualifying factor for him this week. Yeah, 27th in my model and strokes gain total at TPC courses, 26th on Pete Dye tracks. It's kind of what you just alluded to, 7th in my model when you get this specific course uh, with the putting surface that we have. And I think the key to this whole thing, which is the biggest answer here, I know he missed the cut uh, the one time he's played it, but, you know, it's, it's a one-off example here. Like, you never want to, that's the other part of this. Like, you never want to get caught too much on just one specific return. Like, 
if somebody has missed five cuts in a row, four cuts in a row, you can start reassessing the situation. But from a weighted T to green answer, this is what caught my eye. He was the biggest climber for me in my model. 86th in this field on a generic course. If you throw him on any tournament in the world, 16th for this tournament. So wow. 70 spot improvement. That is a massive deviation that it's very infrequent that you see somebody jump that much. And it really comes That's down crazy. to his ability. Yeah. It's the weight of proximity he has here. It's his ability to find fairways. That took a big jump for him. And there's a lot of players who took that answer. Uh, the putter's good. Like it's kind of has all the answers that you want with it. So I uh, I think playing Bazaden out in this top 40 sort of a range is probably like the ideal way to try to back him here. I don't necessarily think he's going to win the tournament, but you don't need that as a top 40. And a lot of times those safety answers are really the key to building a bankroll. Spencer, you've already touched on a few of the factors that you're emphasizing this week, but let's get into the full course preview for TPC River Highlands, a course that a lot of players are a big fan of and one of the very few courses on the PGA Tour that's under 7,000 yards, uh, another par 70, I believe, this week. What do you make of TPC River Highlands? Yeah, sub 7,000 yards, par 70. It's a unique course that you expect to play one way, but it actually generates a rather distinctive output that bucks the conventional wisdom of the yardage on the scorecard. That's not to say that the short 6,841 yard measurement and smaller than average greens won't present some of that short game and mid iron play that you would anticipate popping to the forefront of the discussion. Still, when traversing the data, the one unique characteristic I noticed came down to the off the tee totals. That received a boost from 15.3% to 18.3% when discussing the dispersion of scoring for this track. That answer sort of encompasses the entire spectrum of both distance and accuracy when we get technical. I do think the tree line nature accentuates more accuracy since Pete Dye's concepts always will render that strate strategical approach. However, long and accurate off the tee is a nice notion for success since you can find yourself with extremely short totals into these greens. You know, there's a lot of different ways to play it, though. If you don't have the distance, you can take advantage of the course. If your mid-iron statistics pop over four rounds, uh, if you're finding fairways, that's going to further help the equation there. But this is a venue that takes that idea and kind of amplifies it over and over again and then gives you that heightened mid-iron percentage that you might expect. When we dive into 7.2% more shots occurring from 125 to 175 yards, you know, if you're looking for proximity numbers, you do get a pretty substantial decrease from 175 plus. Uh, 175 to 200 has very little in that range. It's less of a difference there from 200 plus, but still like the entire encapsulation of those two things really puts you more in that 125 to 175 range. 150 to 175 is going to be where the plurality of the shots come from. I don't think it's a shock that a guy like Xander, who's number one in the tour, won this tournament last year. Like there's kind of reasons to believe that that's something to really be important with it. But uh, total driving, I think that's a big answer. I weighed that more in the fashion of like 60% accuracy, 40% distance. So it's not as much accuracy as a lot of people put into it, but players that can find fairways, players that can gain off the tee, that's a big one. And then just players that have that overall proximity from the numbers I'm looking for. I agree. And that 125 to 175 range, as you mentioned, uh, I'll hammer it home again, big increase, especially when we look at what we saw from the PGA Championship, the US Open. Last week at the US Open, we saw way more shots from outside of 200, 250 yards than we normally do. This week, that's way lower than normal. So just because someone didn't strike the ball well last week doesn't disqualify them this week. I think that's like the answer that we're looking for with Wyndham Clark here too. Like, you know, it was a wide open golf course that allowed Wyndham Clark to use his distance. He had that proximity play that we've talked about in 2023, where like from outside of 200 yards, he's actually become really good. The putter looked great the around the green game. Like it was the mm -hmm. perfect course setup for him to find success. And that's where I think people get too caught up on recent form. A lot of these times, just because you're rotating these courses week in and week out with this. So I never want to just look at what somebody's done and automatically pencil them in. It's great when they have the course history. It's great when they have the current form. It's even better when they have the statistical data to back it up because we don't know exactly where a player was, you know, a year ago with their mental mindset and different parts of their game. And there's always reasons why somebody could miss a cut with it that doesn't necessarily show where like the current form is much 
less indicative to me than what a player is actually producing from a statistical perspective. Like you obviously have to get it right with the way that you're weighing your model, because if you start weighing things that are not factually accurate or you're taking too extreme of approaches, you run into an opposite problem to where you're just not building for the right tournament. But it's why you always hear from me on this show or any show that I do course specific and recalculated and remeasured. Like everything's always recalculated to try to fit the course on hand. So speaking of those recalculations that you ran this week, who did you come out with on your outright card? So Roberto, like, obviously I liked my card last week. Hitting 100 to one winner at the U.S. Open solved many of our problems for both of us. Uh, <laughs> but I will say one thing. It felt much more natural for me to drop into this zone where I am betting now to win seven units versus eight on all of these. That eight number is something that I have rolled with for years. Although the higher hold percentages in these markets didn't feel conducive anymore to keep getting that much money down up front into that sector. Sometimes you have to adjust when the industry changes. So that's a move that I plan to incorporate for the time being for anyone who does follow these picks. I started my card this week near the top with Patrick Cantlay at 13 to one on the bet 365 enhanced market. That number has moved over the past 24 hours. I will say for anybody out there, I would like, like, I don't want to be at 10 to one, like in an ideal world, find a 12 to one if you can. I think that's like the ideal number there. If you can find better, obviously that's great. Um, I just think this is a really interesting tournament for Cantlay. My model graded him first in all three iterations of overall upside and safety. Most of that stemmed from his multiple first place ranks for strokes gain total on Pete Dye in short courses, as well as birdie or better percentage when given those two setups and adding in TPC tracks and total driving for the course. You do have to pick your opportunities, as I just talked about. I think that fringe 10 to 1 number really starts eating up the exposure of your card. But I thought Cantley should have won this event last year before he fired a tumultuous 76 on Sunday that dropped him from the lead to 13th place. I always say that Cantley holds his long-term course history just as well as anyone on tour. We've seen that at the Memorial. We've seen it at the Shriners. Those are tournaments that he continues to produce. I know that he has a bunch of finishes over the past five years between 11th and 15th, but kind of as I talked about last year, that is not necessarily what you would have expected. Like he could have very easily won this tournament and we're looking at a completely different thing for him entering this week. So anywhere in that 11 to 13, the one scope I think is worth a gamble. I put 0.54 units to win 7.02 there. I took Tony Fino at 35 to one. Mm. Like, Roberta, at this point, what would a week for me be without Fino <laughs> under consideration? I was proud of myself that I bypassed the urge during the US Open because of his lack of win equity that I did have inside of my model for him at Los Angeles Country Club. A lot of that comes back down to the course specific nature of what I'm talking about here for these tournaments that just because a player is playing well doesn't mean that I necessarily believe that they're the best fit for a certain tournament. But the tangible upside marks really do pop through for me when I look at him for this course. Uh, it needs to be noticed since, you know, missed cut equity is going to be higher on him than most of these names. We always need to be cognizant of that fact that there's missed cut potential. But I'm looking for, like, when I have an outright, I'm looking for win equity. I'm willing to take chances. I'm willing to take more of a gamble in these spots when the upside numbers and the values there. So Finau's third place grade for weighted scoring is a massive perk since that is uh, a, a total that is only behind Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm. You're always in good company when those are the two names that you're behind here. But when I ran this for upside, like he really only trailed Scheffler, Rahm, and Cantlay. So I'm going to bet up on the upside with him there. And then I closed my card with Sung Jae-in at 60 to 1. That number has dropped a little bit also. I think anywhere 50 to 1 plus is certainly in play for him. I'm not exactly sure what has happened in the past four events for him to miss three of his four cuts and only produce a 41st place finish. I'm going to go back to your answer that maybe they just were not the best course setups for him. He obviously did some traveling across the country there where he missed one of those cuts and he never really quite got things back going again with him. But I just think you reach a point at a certain answer here. And it's a very similar answer that I just gave with Finau. At some moment, when you look at these odds, these numbers have been inflated too much for the potential that they do bring. Like, yes, I understand Sungjae and Finau could miss the cut here. I'm willing to take on that super low floor for the high-end potential that they bring because, like, to me, Sungjae is one of the best long shot options that you can take at 60 to 1 for the potential that he brings. Second in my model on Pete Dye and TPC courses when we combine that together, that trails only Scotty Scheffler. 
I just think the juice is eventually worth the squeeze to take a gamble on a golfer that has drifted way too far. And Roberto, like we have talked about him quite a bit in 2023 and it's gone south for us here recently, but I'm still a believer in Sungjae's numbers, especially if you're going to give it to me at 50 to one plus. I agree. If there's a way to bet Sungjae M this week, it's on upside much longer number than I think you'll see in this tournament for him in a few years. And it's pretty shocking because he had a run between the API and the Wells Fargo where he finished in the top 21 every single event. And then he actually flew across the world right before the PGA championship went and played in the world financial group championship in South Korea in his home country won that event. I believe he was three to one to win the event still got still cashed it flying across the world and then flew back. And like you said, three missed cuts and a T41 since then approach play numbers, not anything like what they looked like before. I'm just kind of befuddled. Maybe there's some kind of injury. I have no idea. Um, but I just am not sure what's going on with some JM right now uh, for a guy who's normally very accurate and uh, not as long off the tee as some of the other elite players. This course screams Sung JM. So if you want to play Sung JM this week, I think the outright market, especially that 60 to one number is great value. Uh, wanted to touch up on a couple of the other uh, outright players that you mentioned. Tony Finau, we spoke a lot in the fall and the beginning of this calendar year about how his putter had significantly improved. He's lost strokes gained putting, I believe his last four tournaments. And he's shown that his putting is somewhat sticky. So just something to keep in mind there. But the good part about there being already a, a couple down events for him putting is hopefully that upswing is around the corner soon. And you can capitalize on that, especially if his numbers continue to drift from that 20 to one to 35 to one, uh, which we've seen him at some of these designated events and uh, other non-majors. So I'm intrigued by that. And then Patrick Cantley, you've talked about his sticky course history and event history. You mentioned the Shriners. Um, I believe the American Express, he's also done really well there too, but also the BMW Championship, one of the last couple of those haven't even been at the same course. Uh, it's going to be at a different course again this year, I think in Chicago. So keep, in, keep that in mind, even though um, not the same course, just kind of funny that Patrick Cantley continues to do so well in those uh, same events year after year. I'm going to, I'm going to start my outright card this week with Victor Hovland, a guy that I know you've been high on recently and we mentioned that 125 to 175 yards is going to be a key range of shots this week. Last year at the Travelers Championship, just over 46% of approach shots came from 125 to 175 yards. And when looking at the buckets on PJ Tour, uh, on the PJ Tour's website, from 125 to 150 yards, Victor Hovland is sixth in proximity. And from 150 to 175 yards, he is seventh in proximity. So this should be his wheelhouse. I mentioned a few weeks ago after that Memorial uh, tournament that Victor Hovland, a guy who hadn't won a ton in the U.S. in big-time events, the floodgates might be open for him, and I don't want to miss the bus on him. I'm on him this week. He's a guy who's super straight off the tee, plays that little buttercut all the time. I think he's going to have the driving accuracy and the length. We know we've seen players like a Dustin Johnson kind of overpower this course at times as well. I think Victor Hovland will have that option, although I'm not necessarily banking on it and just really strong form from him. Top two finishes and two of his last four starts with those being at the PGA championship and at the Memorial top twenties in four straight, even last week on a golf course that was very different than this one. And he does have some experience here, finished in a tie for 11th in his last appearance in 2020, and he was third in strokes gained approach that week. However, he lost almost eight-tenths of a stroke per round on the greens. The putter is very strong right now, and if he can gain strokes, be near uh, a half stroke or better per round putting, I think he's going to be really tough to beat this week. I thought he should have been closer to 15 to one and you can find him out there for 20 to one this week. So I really like Victor Hovland. And then I didn't love the value for a variety of players. There are a lot of guys that I liked who I, whom I wanted to bet in the 50 to one range who are 40 to one. A lot of guys I wanted to bet in 65, 70 who are 50 to one this week. So I thought the markets were uh, pretty sharp this week. So I'm dipping down all the way 
to 80 to one, a guy that you've been on, but surprised, somewhat surprised you're not on this week. Ryan Harmon, 80 to one. Uh, he's been somewhat boomer bust on approach, but he does have spike potential there along with the putter and even around the green. We know he's got strong history at this golf course, five top eight finishes in his last eight starts. And we know that this is one of those designated events, which hasn't been a high uh, profile PGA tour event where all the stars have been every year. So some guys showing up here who haven't played here in a while or haven't ever played here, not the case for our guy, Brian Harmon. He's played here each of the last eight years. So those five top eight finishes in that span, all very relevant. And he's also got strong Pete Dye form T7 at the RBC Heritage, a pseudo tie for 17th at the match play. Of course, he didn't get out of his group play, which only 16 people do, but he had the most points outside of players who advanced from their group. So another course where um, Pete Dye comes into play with his designs, although off the tee, it's very different than this course. And then also a T44 at the players. So he's shown that he has success on these types of tracks. It's not, he's not someone I play normally, but I think this week at 80 to one, I had to scoop up that value. And then I got a few more long shots for you. Justin Sa, 175 to one. The putter's on an absolute heater for Sa. You talked about how he's someone who his coach spoke about as if he could be as good as Jordan Spieth, especially from long range. And Justin Sa proving that elite putting potential now on the PGA Tour. He's gained over three and a half strokes per tournament putting in five of his last six. So really, really strong lately. Made 20 of 21 cuts, which is something that I don't think gets talked about very much on tour. But a guy whom, if he can put it together on approach, that putter gives him a high ceiling. And the lack of distance off the tee this week, not a huge factor. I also did bet Cebes 200 to 1 in addition to that top 40 at plus 180 for the same men, for the same reasons. And then I also bet Mark Hubbard 200 to 1. I know we both wanted to bet him. I believe it was at like the Byron Nelson before he withdrew. Uh, he's someone whose approach play is very, very intriguing to me. Gain strokes on approach in eight consecutive tournaments. Doesn't have the juice off the tee to be able to contend at a course like uh, Oak Hill or LACC or even at the Memorial. But for him, playing a course like this, more of a plotter's course, give me a chance on him at 200 to one. Top 30 finishes in five of his last six starts with the only one with the only exception being the PGA championship. And I'm also going to play him in the top 40 market or yes, in the top 40 market at plus 150 for those same reasons. Uh, really like the combination of upside and of floor for Mark Hubbard this week. Yeah, Roberto, you're speaking my language when you talk about Harmon and Hubbard. Those are two <laughs> golfers that I want to back almost every week. Model liked both of them, have no issues with that. I think the bigger concern, and just with the way that I built my card, I don't know how far down this board a player can actually win this event. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know what the correct market is to play some of these guys based off of that answer. I, I think if we're getting technical with it, Harmon is probably very near the last name that I would say has legitimate win equity. Like I think Harmon and Keegan Bradley and... Andrew Putnam to an extent, maybe less Putnam than the other two, but that's kind of like where I'm cutting off the range of who can win, but like you could definitely see a top 10 or 20 finish from all those guys. And then uh, just to quickly touch on the Hovland answer that you gave, because it's a really interesting answer that goes into play for Finau or Sungjae with me. Also, when I looked at the specific green type that we have this week, and I tried to compare it to like corollary courses with it and then run them all based off of that, and compare it to what their baseline would be on any course. Uh, there was three really big climbers for me kind of in this range that we're talking about here. Victor Hovland was one of them, and we already know Victor Hovland is putting the ball magnificently well. So now if you can even give him a green type that he seems to like more than any you know generic green on tour, might be where he ends up winning. The other two here, Tony Finau and Sung JM. So mm. uh, Finau's been horrible at the putter recently, and maybe that's just something that he won't be able to turn around. 120th in my model over the past 24 rounds for him, but he was nearly a 20 spot climber for me on a generic course versus what he's going to get this week. So it's kind of fingers crossed situation that if Finau can find something with the putter, I think the number has drifted too far. And it's the same answer that's going to be said with Sungjae. If he can find something with the putter and now he's drifted into this 50 plus range at all these books, 
like I'm going to take my chances with some of these golfers that I just think are mispriced based off of the recent form that we've gotten. And as someone who bet on Tony Finau last week, I completely understand uh, your logic on this one. Yeah, I mean, as somebody who bets on Tony Finau almost every single week, it sometimes works and it sometimes doesn't. But <laughs> I, I do think it's a really nice course setup for him, if nothing else. What else is on your card besides uh, the outrights and your matchup bet on Bo Hostler? I talked about Andrew Putnam a little bit. I, I wouldn't say an outright's the best way to play him. I, I think a top 40 for his safety would be more of the answer I would go. You can find that at plus 165. Putnam is three for three in his career at this tournament and making the weekend. He's also trending with three consecutive made cuts in all events. That's highlighted by not finishing outside the top 45 in any of those starts. I just think we have a reasonable enough expectation because of his past TPC success. You add that to the quality putting on this surface and all of that starts anticipating that Putnam is more likely than not to get himself into the weekend. I think once that ends up occurring, it just comes down to how much further can he work himself up the board. If you believe the answer is top 10 or 20, you can play it bigger than what I'm playing it. To me, it's, I don't know. It feels like a 31st sort of place finish in this tournament. I'm going to bet more on the safety here. Bet him plus 165 to come top 40. And then I decided to do a handful of bet 365 markets this week for the majority of my placement exposure. Shane Lowry, 46th or better. Seamus Power, it's a golfer I was on last week. I, I also think he's somewhat intriguing at two to one for a top 40. I think 69th or better here is probably my preferred way to play it. KH Lee, 68th or better. All those, as always, will be minus 120. I typically always bet them to win 0.5 units, so 0.6 to win 0.5 for anybody curious. I think Lowry possesses one of those safer floors because of his sixth place rank for me in expected total driving when recalculating the metrics to fit TPC River Highlands. I also thought the biggest takeaway to this whole thing was the improvement he received with his putter when given this POA slash bent split textures that he's going to get. He's another one of those players that I just mentioned, Hovland, Sungjae Finau. He was another one that saw that massive increase. There's a reason why KH Lee is known by many as TPC Lee. Mm -hmm. I would say probably Roberto, like, I, I don't know, 87% of that answer comes down to Nick coining the term. I think Nick was the <laughs> first one that I ever heard say it, but there's also a lot to be said about the safety that he generates when running a model on these sorts of a layout. We see that with the weighted scoring, the proximity totals, the T to green numbers, all of that gets an increase in projection for this track. And then talking about Seamus here, I don't think the form is quite as bad as the perception is around him at this moment. Like, sure, the profile isn't perfect. That's going to be expected when we're talking about a 69th or better here on Bet365. That is being baked into the total to begin with. Like, they obviously don't like him to begin with. But I always do sort of like playing him at these shorter courses that allow him to use his short game. So um We'll see if I end up getting to Seamus as a top 40 at plus 200. As of right now, I probably don't plan on going that route. Probably just going to be Putnam for me as a top 40 at plus 165. And then the 0 0.6 units on each of Lowry 46th or better, Seamus 69th or better, KH Lee 68th or better. That's more of how I'm looking to take on my exposure. I think those are all very intriguing plays. And uh, Seamus Power really intrigues me in this one. He's got four consecutive top uh top 66 finishes including two in the top 25 and going to 2021 it looks like he finished third in strokes gained approach here in the travelers championship in 2021 uh so very intrigued by that one i think that's going to have to be my in pod play of the week um we'll get to my placement market bets in just a moment but first a reminder that the links and locks podcast is proudly presented by bet365 the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer, bet $1 on any game, and get $200 in bonus bets. Must be 21 or older. Offer is available in Colorado, New Jersey, Ohio, and Virginia in the U.S. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. So I like that Seamus power play. He won in the fall at the Butterford... Butterfield Bermuda Championship, and he had a really strong run of play uh, through the Genesis where those wedges were really a strength for him. And getting back to a course where he can utilize those wedges and those short irons, I think makes a lot of sense here for Seamus Power. In a similar vein, I'm going to go with another player here 
who doesn't have distance off the tee in Matt Kuchar, 59 or better. And I got to ask myself this week, for some guys like a Matt Kuchar who are plotters, don't hit the ball very far, would I be more discouraged if they have great recent form and they just didn't play at the U.S. Open or the PGA Championship or maybe even at the Memorial in addition at another designated event? Or if they played in them and didn't play well and they got a, and we're getting a better number on them here when I'd still label them as a course fit. Matt Kuchar, 62nd at the Memorial, missed the cut at the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship. In each of his last nine starts outside of those three tournaments, he's finished in the top 59, which is what we need to cash this bet. His elite short game is going to play here. And his lack of distance off the tee, once again, won't be a huge factor. And we know Matt Kuchar, super old, doesn't hit the ball anywhere, but arguably the best short game on the PGA Tour. Ranks in the top five on tour in strokes gained around the green, scrambling, sand save percentage. You name the short game stat, he's up there. Uh, also a bogey avoidance. And he's 21st in approaches from 50 to 125 yards. I think he's going to be able to cash in on scoring opportunities. And we know that putter's always solid as well, even though he has that weird wrong arm arm lock, the back arm arm lock. I don't know how he started doing that, but it works. Matt Kuchar, I think we're getting a great number here because of the recent course history at the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship that is poor and not super relevant for this week. So I'm going to hop in on him as being one of the safest plays uh, on the PGA Tour at 59th or better on a plotter's course. Give me that all day. And then uh, finally, in addition to Cebez, plus 180 for top 40, Hubbard, plus 150 for top 40, I've got a homer bet here on Taylor Moore, 70th or better. I know you mentioned that you're looking to take him on in matchups. And even before I heard that, this was definitely my lowest confidence play among my four placement market bets. So betting this one for just a quarter unit instead of um, instead of to win a half unit. But Taylor Moore, 70th or better, still made 11 of his last 14 cuts and 69, 69th place or better in 10 of 11 made cuts. However, two of those last three tournaments, poor finishes at LACC and Oak Hill, which I don't think are super relevant. I do think that his game plays pretty much everywhere, which unlike a lot of the plotters, I don't think those courses penalize him as much for his type of play as they would a Kuchar. However, I'm still gonna buy high, I'm still gonna buy him making the cut. I don't have the confidence in him to bet him in a matchup necessarily. I just think the number is too long on him to essentially make the cut here at 70th or better. I think he can get it done. It's more of a long-term play on him. Sure, he isn't in his best form right now, but I just am a big believer in his game and the all-around nature of his game where he doesn't necessarily re rely on one specific part, but he could strike strike the ball uh, and ball strike his way into making the cut. He could just get a really hot putter. There are a variety of ways where it could work out for him this week. I think 70th was too long, so I bet him 70th or better at minus 120. Uh, any thoughts on those? And I particularly want to hear why you don't like Taylor Moore this week. I mean, I guess the interesting thing about Moore is, is you're essentially making a wager there. And it's not quite, but you're essentially making a wager like get into the weekend and you more likely than not should win that bet. And, and that's always a nice thing because if he can just get hot on Thursday – and if he overachieves the metrics that I believe might cause him a problem, all of a sudden you get into the weekend and, you know, just don't be the worst player out on the course where you end up coming like 73rd place there to lose the bet. Um, that said, I don't know, Roberto, like there's just so much in my model. Like obviously the form has gone south and, and mm -hmm. it's the same answer that we keep giving or that I've given a lot to. It's like, you don't want to get too caught up on certain intangibles of these courses that we've seen but you can't also negate it altogether either. And the bigger concern comes in more than anything is just the statistical fit of how he fits into my model. Cause now all of a sudden he has multiple red flags that are popping into play. The current form has not looked good recently. The stats play some 97th in my model. He drops like, what is that? That's 53 spots in my model and expected way to T to green when I'm ranking it out in the field. That's one of the biggest decreases that I can find. He hasn't, for as good of a putter as he is, he hasn't necessarily been great on this specific texture that he's going to get this week. You know, TPC tracks, he's 74th. Pete Dye tracks, he's 94th. It's starting to feel like when I keep giving all those answers and like the weighted scoring is another answer that's 92nd for me. 
everything that I keep saying is outside the top 65 and everything is starting to feel like a miscut is going to take place here. So like, look, I mean, if you're going to play him, I think that this is like the best market that you could do it or like a made cut sort of a bet, just because you're taking in, you're, you're taking out all the upside that I don't necessarily think he has. Like he may hit it for one day and if he hits it for one day, that could be good enough to win the bet. But I don't know. It's just not for me, Roberto. Like it doesn't mean that you're not right with it. And we know from a long-term answer and like surprisingly enough, I think we've talked a lot about this on this show about Taylor Moore, uh, about Steven Yeager. Like I'm also lower on Yeager than I typically am also. Mm -hmm. I know those are two players that like either I play them together. I don't play either one. And with me being out on Jaeger, even though I prefer Jaeger if directly choosing uh, between that, like more with his current form is going to take a massive push down there. But uh, no, I mean, unfortunately, I'm just out for those reasons. Gotcha. Uh, I think that one of the more similar comps, we mentioned this earlier, uh, RBC Heritage at Harbortown and the players. He finished top 40 in both of those, uh, including T11 at the Heritage. I think those are relevant. I just also... Didn't want to read too much into the PGA Championship and the U.S. Open as being just different courses for for Taylor Moore, but overall, I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to risk it on him, but I understand the people who haven't been betting Taylor Moore as much as I have this year because not many people have to be. Oh, and I mean, and you definitely have seen something in him, and I mean, we've hit wagers on him. We've hit outrights like there's reasons to be optimistic about some of parts of his game specifically if you're a believer here but like i've given this answer before and this is the last thing i'll say about taylor moore here um i run everything from a two-year perspective so it's it's never going to give you just these last three tournaments and say okay because taylor moore was bad all of a sudden now he's out of my player pool or he's not going to be a wager i'm looking to fade him like there's going to be some of that on the current form. I did weigh that a little bit, but even if I remove current form from the equation altogether, I remove course history, I remove everything. And I just talk about what do the stats tell me? He moves from 97th overall in my model to 91st. So there's still problems even when I remove all the most recent stuff. So like that to me is the bigger concern here, but um, I feel like overall you have been very sound when you have backed him. So I don't know. It's just one of those very polarizing uh, players this week. Yeah, he's a unique player to analyze from a two-year uh, perspective true. because he's a second-year player on the PGA Tour. So I think the player he was the first 90% of his rookie year on the PGA Tour isn't the guy that I've been trying to gamble on, at least, uh, recently. I think there has been a glow-up from the end of his run last year, uh, which is an interesting note because last year around this time was when he really started to kick it into gear um, on the PGA Tour. So we'll see if some of these tournaments down the stretch where he played well last year, like the T5 at the Wyndham and the sixth place at the Rocket Mortgage, if he can figure something out over this next month or so or next couple of weeks or so before those tournaments where he did have a really solid run where he got to keep his court guard because he wasn't playing like a guy who was going to be on the PGA Tour uh, before around this time last year. Uh, we'll see how it works for him because uh, he's someone, as we noted, that I'm bullish on. We both had him at the Bals Bar at 70-ish yeah. to 1 to win that tournament. Uh, but we talked enough about Taylor Moore. Spencer, do you have any final plays before we get into our rapid-fire segment? No, that's the entirety of my card right now. Um, you know, from an outright answer, like all my bets, as I said, are to win between seven to 7.2 units. I have like 0 0.8 to 0 0.9 units in play right now with it. So it's like the same distribution that I usually take more or less with it. It's just lowered a little bit of the exposure that I'm taking on. Didn't love the matchup market. Um, I obviously gave the one at the beginning of the show, not... My favorite head-to-head -head that we've ever talked about. I've said that the last couple of shows, and I feel like they've won when I've given that answer. So maybe that's a good sign for this play, but uh, just not a ton of value in some of these like non-bet three six five over/under markets of these finishing positions. Um, like I think in total, I have about three point six units in play right now. Half of that is coming from the finishing position markets on bet three six five. The internment wagers will come at some point, which is, I mean. It's funny, Roberto, because like just from a transparency answer here, mm -hmm. like everybody wants to talk about 
me hitting Wyndham Clark at 101. And obviously, like, that's that's a great thing. And we both had him. And, like, it's great for the show. The tournament bets were not the best in tournament bets I've ever had before. And it's like, I've nobody won more remembers. money. Yeah, nobody remembers <laughs> that. It's like, I've won more money before by not hitting the outright winner and going, like, 8-0 and on my uh, in-tournament matchups. And it's like, no, guys, this is the week that's sustainable. This is the stuff that you actually want to be tracking <laughs> here. But the headline is, you know, T-Off Sports hits Wyndham Clark at 101. Roberto hits Wyndham Clark at 100 to 1. And it's great, and you need to have it. And because I hit that, it gave me a nice week where I won about five units. But it's always like, make sure that you put your exposure in other markets. I'm always going to harp on that point, even when I come in with a winner. And Spencer, I want to uh, thank you for working with you on this podcast. You note how you bet to win eight units the majority of the time now shrinking it down to seven uh, because of your risk exposure. But you've also noted how in the past you had a big price discrepancy on someone like a Corey Connors, where you bet him to win far more than your eight units. Last week, Wyndham Clark was my only player. I bet to win more than yes. eight units. I actually bet him to, to win 12 because I told you he should have been 50 to one. And you said he should have been a top 15. He was playing like a top 15 player in the world. And now here we are this week, a little bit more money in our pockets because of that bet. But Wyndham Clark moves up to number 13 in the official world golf rankings. We know those aren't super accurate right now, uh, given the na the nature of golf, but still in that range. And he's also 40 to one to win on most sports books this week in a very similarly strong field. So I think we hit the nail on the head with that one. Also had him for top 10, five to one last week. So Nice work. Yeah, I, had him, I had him at uh, top 40, which is not as impressive nice. a number at plus 125. But I, I think that's an interesting point that you just brought up because like, as I'm giving all these answers, it, it doesn't mean that you need to get 0 0.8, 0.9 units in exposure. You can have weeks on an outright card where you only have a quarter of a unit because you don't have a value mm -hmm. on the card that you're looking at. And then the real key to this is people are way too flat in their their thought process that comes into play. You need to try to find your edges. And when you find your edges, you should be ramping up the exposure mm -hmm. and the money that you're betting. Like you want to have more win totals on a guy like Wyndham Clark if your model's spinning out. When I find the right head-to-head -head matchup, I will, you know, take it from 1.1 units to, you know, 1.6, 1.7, 1.8. I never really play more than double of the number, but there's always going to be like, I think when you take that real stagnant approach of like, Everything needs to be one unit in outright exposures. I need to have three head-to-heads. I need to have five placements. Whatever the numbers end up being, you're doing yourself a great disservice at the end of the day. You need to be able to mix and match the exposures that you take in different markets. You need to be able to mix and match the wagers that you're actually placing, the exposure on those wagers that you're placing. So I think it's very important for everybody out there. Don't get caught in this mindset that I have five units that need to go into play this week. I need to make these five wagers. It's like, if there's only one play, there's only one play. We There's always the next week to try to get action. And I know there are ratios out there where you can calculate your edge and what your risk should be, depending on um, on if you have a 5% edge, 10% edge. Uh, so just something to keep in mind. Uh, absolutely hammer when you have those big edges uh, relative to the minuscule ones. Spencer, we normally go through our rapid fire by looking at some of the top players on the board who maybe we haven't discussed as much. And I give you an option between betting on them outright. But today, let's let's switch it up a little bit, at least at the top. And we'll say if you had to bet one of these players to finish above or lower than their position, than their placement market on Bet365, which one would you take? Would you rather have Scotty Scheffler, nine or better at minus 120? Or would you rather have John Rom at 15 or better, minus 120? This might be a wild answer uh, to give here. I would rather have John Rom at 15 or better. At some point, and it's not to say that's going to happen this week. Scotty Shuffler could win the tournament. I do think at some point we have to get a regression from him from a T to green sense. Like every single week when I update my model, He's improving. Like the numbers are getting even better and better and he's not winning tournaments. It's the most outlandish thing I've ever seen before that he's producing these totals and he's not won every single golf tournament. Uh, the one difference here that I have not had during any duration of time I've run this, this has not been an answer that I would give in the entire 2023. 
Uh, maybe there's been a week here or there where John Rom, like, I guess specifically, if you want to look at, I actually, I don't even, I mean, I guess maybe like at the masters, which is not the greatest answer to give. Uh, I think I had Rory number one in my model. Uh, I think I had Rom two and I had Scheffler three, but like there's very few scenarios where Scheffler has not been number one for me. And if you're building a model, you want him to be number one. He is sixth overall for me this week. Wow. Uh, that is as low as I'm ever going to find him. So I'm kind of just taking this approach to where if Scotty wins the tournament, he wins the tournament, but I, I don't plan on having exposure to him. It doesn't mean I'm fading him. I'm not looking to take him on in matchups, but I, I think Rom has reached this point right now where he is kind of highly disrespected. Even if you look at matchups between Rom and Scheffler, I decided not to make a bet against Scheffler because I don't think you want to go down that route necessarily, but because it's priced into this point, like I've seen some pretty decent numbers out there on Rom, and, and I think that they're, you know, I think Scheffler's a very small favorite, but I'm not so sure the numbers out there are quite correct at this point. Yeah, I want to say Rom opened at eight, nine to one to win this week, and now he's floated all the way over to 11 to one, I believe tied with Cantley, at least on bet three, six, five for the second shortest odds as, you mentioned earlier Cantley's Cantley's rise up the board, even passing Rory McIlroy. And speaking of Rory McIlroy, would you rather have a ticket on him at minus 120 to finish 17th or better, or Xander Shoffley to finish 17th or better at the same price? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, I I guess Xander, and I and I give that answer like my model. My model kind of had a very weird, similar thing here, looking at Rory like. Versus Scheffler in a lot of ways here. Um, I think Rory's in a weird spot right now with his game. Like, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without saying that Rory's in a bad spot mentally. But I think, how many times can we not win a golf tournament when we're in contention before it weighs on a person? Like, that's a very human thing that at some point it has to frustrate you. So, um, it's not to say that Rory's been fine here. He could find success here. I just not necessarily looking to get any exposure to Rory this week. It's like the same answer I gave with Scheffler. If Rory beats me, he beats me. It's very possible. They're top six players for me in any iteration of how I ran my model. I guess I would just rather bet on the general safety that I think Xander pr provides pretty much week in and week out. And while he was in more contention last week than he normally is, uh, Xander doesn't have that emotional roller coaster quite as often as Rory has recently. Let's get back into the outmark, outright market perspective here. Colin Morikawa, a guy that you normally don't like, he is the only player right now on Bet365's enhanced win between 20 and 30 to 1. He's 23 to 1. What do you make proper on Colin Morikawa and what number, what price ticket would I have to give you for you to take it? I, I It's always bigger than the number that gets put out there. So I have proper at... 35 to one. Um, that being said, I do kind of like Morikawa this week. Like not as an outright answer. I'm not going to take bad value to bet him, but this is one of the better that he's been in my model in quite some time here. Like he cracked a lot of different iterations of this to where he was propelling when I was looking for upside in these spots. Not going to get there at the number. I would not be shocked if he won though. He's actually gained strokes putting in each of his last two tournaments. Uh, in, we're including the Memorial where he withdrew when he was in contention uh, to potentially win that one. Also finished T14 last week. And as usual, the strokes gained approach numbers are still just really dumb. So good. Um, just so Very good. consistent. Even with the back injury that apparently is plaguing him. Um, he noted last week that he was going to tee the ball up in a weird fashion which is mostly precautionary. He said he's not feeling any pain in the back. Hopefully he stays healthy because you know I love to bet on Colin Morikawa. And whenever I bet on Victor Hovland, that's a week where I like Colin Morikawa as well. Um, let's yeah. get into some of those players at 30 to 1 or longer. Tommy Fleetwood's 32 to 1. Matt Fitzpatrick's 35 to 1. Ricky Fowler is 35 to 1. Fowler and Fleetwood, players I like this week, who the number is just too short on. If I gave you a ticket on 40 to one at 40 to one on one of those three players, which one would you take? Probably Fitzpatrick for me. Um, I like him on Pete Dyke courses. I like him at these strategical short courses. I think the par five scoring ability that he has does play well here. Like you obviously only have two of them in play, 
but you're going to have to score on them when you do get an opportunity inside the top 10 of my model there. The bogey avoidance that he had on some of these more difficult par fours, that played really well in my model. I'm kind of generally out on Ricky this week. Um, model just didn't like him. I mean, really no other reason than that. And uh, Fitzpatrick kind of had some of those upside intangibles that I like to see. We got a few different guys here. If I gave you a ticket on them at four, at 50 to one, they're all 37 to one on bet three, six, five. Which one would you take? Hideki Matsuyama, Tom Kim, or Nick's guy, Russell Henley. There are three players that are very intriguing this week. Like I can't say anything negative about any of them. Uh, I will say though, that the one ticket that I did not punch that I came so close to putting a wager on this week, and I'm a little bit afraid he's going to win. I'm going to be sitting here without the ticket was Hideki. I think Hideki's a very intriguing wager for this tournament. And I give that answer quite a bit. And and I feel like I've even on this show over the past you know month or two, I've had a lot of outrights on him. So it's like a really nice course fit. Nothing wrong with Tom Kim, nothing wrong with Henley other than I think they're going to be very popular wagers. It doesn't mean that they're losing wagers. I think they're going to be two of the most popular bets, but I understand each. I think there's maybe better ways to play them than to win the tournament. Um, not going to talk anybody out. I like some of those numbers where the market opened for Henley specifically were outrageous. Um, even outrageous. Tom Kim, like they were, they were wild and like where we're at now, they're not necessarily bettable. All the value has been taken out of it, but you could have told me I could have had like 70 to one on those guys. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. sign me up all day. I think that that's exactly the value where it's like, yeah, I'm going to take my chances and hope for the best. But I think a lot of that has been dry, unfortunately over the, you know, past 24 hours here. And, I have not seen that with Hideki. Like I, I think Hideki is still an a, a realistic wager to consider. Um, and as I said, it was the first one or the last one, however you want to look at it, that just did not make the card. I completely agree as someone who's also been betting Hideki. I really like all three of these players and potentially someone I might add to a live play, all three of them. But Hideki sure. Matsuyama really intrigues me. I'm also I also was surprised to see that in Hideki's uh, long career on the PGA Tour. He's actually never played at TPC River Highlands before. So interesting to see how he does this week, uh, just with the complete lack of course history. Spencer, let's get to the guys who are listed at 45 to one, a couple other guys that you might have heard of. Max Homa, Siwoo Kim, and this guy named Jason Day. If I gave you a 55 to one ticket on any of those three guys, which one would you take? It's wild, the perception of Homa in the market right now. Um, my model is in this very boomer bust state with him. And, and as I always talk about, like when we're talking about outrights here, I am trying to shoot for as much upside as I can possibly find. I think day is intriguing. I, I do want to point that out. This might be a really nice bounce back spot for him after a really cold past month that he's produced. There's a lot of reasons in my model where he skyrocketed in some of these upside numbers that I'm looking for. The floor remains a problem with him there, but I don't know, Roberto, like maybe I'm just, Maybe I was too late to the party when it was good, and now I'm too late to leave the party now that it's bad. I kind of still think Homa, despite the bad course history here, despite a recent form that has kind of been hit and miss here for the past two or three months, I still think that he has the potential that if he does pop, he pops in a big way. From a metric standpoint, like there are a couple players to me, Homa, Finau, Sungjae, uh, Justin Thomas. These are players that we know have the upside ability if they put it together. Yes. I can't get there with Justin Thomas, unfortunately. It's like the game is just so lost. And I obviously got there on Sungjae and Finau. Not going to get there on a Homa ticket just because I don't think the value's there. But it does feel like an opportunity to where if you told me he came inside the top 10 and he turned the negative course history around here and, you know, all of those like, he's good at these short courses. Like that's one thing that he consistently pops at. So if you told me he produced here, I would not be shocked. And I uh, don't forget, like we're not comparing tournaments that are not this event or not on this course. He was fine at the U S open until he was not fine on Friday. He was trending towards like a top 10 over the first day. And then all of a sudden on Friday, the wheels fell off. He struck the ball well in my model. He lost in a bunch of bad ways that were not really necessarily what my model thought was accurate with it. I forget the exact number off the top of my head right now, so I don't want to give like the exact hole, but I want to say like fair projection for him through two days if he got his baseline short game 
and mixed it with his approach play and driver that he actually produced. I want to say he was like top 25, top 30 is what he should have been on the leaderboard. Obviously he misses the cut. So uh, we don't want to overreact to that stuff, but I, I kind of think Homa's intriguing here. He also could burn lineups to the ground because of that erratic nature that he's had recently. But uh, I guess Homa Day, and then who was the third one? Just uh, just so I can mention it. Siwoo Kim. Um, I guess it would be... Uh, Siwoo Kim's kind of in that Jason Day territory for me, like real boomer bust with it. But uh, I guess they all are, if you want to give that answer, if we want to get like honest with it. But uh, Homa for me, if picking between the three. And I think Homa, when you're looking at his course history throughout his career, have to keep in mind that the golfer that he is here in 2023, very different than the golfer he was when he won for the first time on tour in 2019. And very, very different from the golfer he was in 2015 when I think he made just like one top 70 on tour in his rookie year, then lost his card. Then 2017, got back on tour, lost his card again. Uh, and then 2019 was on pace to lose his card again before he won at the Wells Fargo. And the rest is history. Now you know who Max Homa is. But uh, someone I wouldn't put too much emphasis on his course history, at least from further back in his career. Uh, but Homa is someone who's very intriguing to me. I think that 45 number is very close to just a pure number play for me on a, a player who might consider borderline elite on the PGA Tour. Certainly not in that upper, upper echelon with uh, Rom, Rory, and Scotty. But I think in that second, third tier of really solid players, it just doesn't make sense that he's super low where he is right now, especially as he gained strokes uh, putting these last four tournaments and on approach in three of the last four. Uh, yeah, you reach the point with all, all these players at some point. Like there, there is a number, no matter how much mm -hmm. you dislike a golfer, there is some number out there that it becomes doable to at least consider the wager. Like, you got to figure out what that number is for you. And you got to figure out where these players rank in your model. And that's going to be different for everybody. But at some point, like there is a buy-in spot. Um, it wasn't where Homa is currently in the market for me, but the upside intangibles that you just mentioned is what makes this so intriguing for him. I got a little fun fact here for you, Spencer. So this year on the PGA tour, since the Fortnite championship, which of course he won, uh, we knew it was around. We know it was around the green game. Was pretty solid there because he chipped in to win the tournament. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, last week at the PGA at the U.S. Open, he lost 1.84 true strokes gained per day to golf uh, per round. In the rest of his starts on the PGA Tour this year, he's only lost strokes gained around the green in five or sorry six other tournaments outside of last week. When you add up the strokes he lost per round in each of those rounds and you added it up in total, it's 1.87 strokes per round last week, 1.84. So just a complete anomaly uh, for him around the green. I think you can just kind of throw that out as an outlier and not expect it to follow this week. Uh, if he does have another poor. And also we can say last week, you can get some weird lies in the Barrancas, which word of the week. Um, just inconsistent. Sometimes you find a flat spot, but sometimes you're in the middle of a bush. You never know. Uh, so maybe a little bit noisy there as well in that specific statistic. Can I just add one thing to that really quickly before we move on? Just because yes. I looked it up after you mentioned this. Mm -hmm. uh, I was talking about when I take his baseline putting in around the green, I compare it and add it to his actual performance with his approach and his driver. My model thought that after two days, he should have been in 21st place. So that is the exact answer of what I was alluding to a second ago. And uh, he had a couple really good shots that he got very unlucky on that just didn't hold the green. He made some bad decision. I thought he had bad course management to where a lot of pressure on, on him in California. I know that's an event at a course that he wanted to find success. Maybe, unfortunately for him, he regressed a little bit to like bad Homa that he let the pressure take over and, and it kind of just got the best of him there. But I'm hoping for him because I do like him as a player that he can bounce spot back in this spot here. Spencer, we've gone on for quite a while. I'll get you out of here on this one last matchup. You're taking a 400 to one outright. Are you going to take Garrett Kigo or Webb Simpson? I mean, without even looking, it has to be Webb, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's Webb for me. Uh, Higo is 
105th in my model. He really doesn't have the upside intangibles that I'm looking for. Webb Simpson is 70th for me. I always say Webb Simpson is Mr. Upside, 46th in my model for upside. We have nice positive trajectory there. I look, I mean, at some point, you hope that Webb can turn back the clocks and he can all of a sudden start producing. And you've seen it happen before with players. I'm not saying that Webb is necessarily the level of some of these guys that have done it, but crazier things have happened. Like who would have thought that Phil Mickelson would have won the PGA championship a couple years ago. Uh, I would make a strong argument that it's more likely that Webb, if you would have told me one of these two things will happen, either Mickelson's winning the PGA a couple years ago or Webb's winning this tournament. I would have said the more likely scenario is that Webb wins this tournament. So uh, I'll always, and I'm always willing to listen to Webb wagers. You heard it here, folks. Hopefully we get another victory lap next week on a Webb Simpson dub. That'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Links and Locks presented by Bet365. As a reminder, the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet $1 on any game, get $200 free. For more great golf content from our Action Network team, check out our Best Bets episode from earlier this week featuring Jason Sobel and Ben Everill. You can always, of course, check out Jason Sobel on The Gimme, which Spencer was just on, so be sure to check them out as well. You can always find as much golf betting content as you're ready for on actionnetwork.com and on the Action Network app. Our Best Bets article is live right now along with uh, betting breakdowns for the Travelers Championship this week from Jason Sobel, Matt Vincenzi, uh, among others. I know Spencer's got an article coming tomorrow as well. Derek Farnsworth also getting in on the action. So lots of great uh, content from our team. Be sure to check it out. Quite a few of us had uh, Wyndham Clark last week as well. Nick's not here, but you can find him on Twitter at Picks, and you can find Spencer at Tee Sports. Spencer, where else can the people find you and your work this week? Yeah, you can find my model, all the numbers that I talked about. You can find that over at Rotoballer. It's something that I am very proud of, something that I put a lot of work into every single week, maintaining the database, getting the numbers right, getting my math to where I believe it's correct. Uh, I am not going to have a show with Nick this week. Nick took the entire week off for here, so there will be no better golf pod, but yeah, you can always find all the stuff that I do here at Action Network. I will have in-tournament bets. Uh, I'll have three articles coming out over the course between Wednesday and Saturday night. Be sure to check in on those for any of the in-tournament matchups that I do add, and as always, Roberto, appreciate the time with you today on this. It's always fun going over these boards and talking wagers. Always a pleasure, Spencer, and uh, I always learn a couple things every time we talk, so uh, super fun talking with someone who's as crazy about golf and the PGA Tour as I am. You can find me on Twitter at RobertoA213. And um, that's it for me this week. So just on the podcast this week and looking forward to another big time event on the PGA Tour. Want to give thanks to everyone else who makes this podcast possible, especially our producers, specifically Noah Niederhofer, who gets the job done for us, gets us over the finish line, even though he's across the world and in the middle of the night. Big thanks to Noah and to our entire production team for all of their hard work. And thanks to you, the listeners. Here's to hoping you hit the green in Cromwell, Connecticut this week. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.